guys? It is Irish Benjamin 57. And I am ND Sean 45, and together we are the two Irish brothers. And as you guys can tell, we have a very special guest with us today. So without further ado, please welcome author and big time Notre Dame fan, Lisa Kelly. Lisa, thank you so much for being with us here today, the, the two small thank guys so that are much. trying to make it. <laughs> thank you for having me on your show. Now, Lisa, um, to be honest with you, I have only I'm only in the, the middle of reading your one book. Um, oh, what was it called? The uh, the one that you sent me uh, at the Echoes of Notre Dame. Triumph. And one. yes, yes, the Triumphs of Notre Dame. And so far, from what I've read, it's very very interesting. I like the stories that uh, the guys have had to tell, and, and you do such a great job with uh, asking the right questions. But just before we go deep into your into your works, just we like to start it simple. Uh, tell us, just in general, how did you come to get affiliated with Notre Dame uh, as a fan, as a watching games on TV? What, what's your past with Notre Dame? Yep, my dad is an alum. He's class of 1965. And so I grew up everything Notre Dame. I learned my first four-letter word watching a USC Notre Dame game with my dad when I was three, uh, Thanksgiving weekend. So learned that colorful language pretty early on. Um, my parents happened to get married on a Thanksgiving weekend and it was USC Notre Dame and he was in the room with his groomsmen before the wedding with the radio, you know, listening to the game till the very last second, you know. Um, so we went to Notre Dame games growing up. We moved to Southern California when I was 10. So then at that point, we would go to Notre Dame USC games. And when it came time to go to college, I applied to 10 schools. I got into eight. And the last letter I got was Notre Dame. It came on April Fool's Day. And I thought my mom was pranking me, which was so not cool. But she literally opened the letter and read it to me. Hey, you got in. So that's how I ended up at Notre Dame. They won the national championship in 88, which was my senior year in high school. We were at the USC game in the end zone, watched Rocket run a touchdown right at me, um, had four incredible years at Notre Dame. So, I mean, I come by it honestly. It's in my blood. That's awesome. Uh, myself, I have a similar background to that because I'm not going to mention names, but I've had fit plenty of family myself, plus uh, one who's very big that – I'll just say this, he's been on the sidelines for many years out there, so I can really re relate with you on, on that. And I think I actually learned my first four-letter word from watching uh, watching you <laughs> when I was a kid. Yep, so uh, my friends make fun of me because, you know, when I'm out in public, I'm, I'm a lady, but, man, if I'm watching a Notre Dame game, it's, it's on. <laughs> all bets are off. <laughs> now, in all those years of, of watching – football and even in most recent years the basketball team has had a resurgence uh, resurgence both men and women's do you ever find yourself just thinking you're going to have a heart attack all the time yeah my kids just laugh I'm like throwing things you know they just kind of tiptoe their way around and so this year is going to be very hard for me because my youngest is a currently a sophomore at the University of Arkansas oh no yeah, so, and she's like me. She's a giant sports fan, so we are going to have a house divided. She keeps asking me, who are you going to root for? And I'm like, I love you, 
but I bleed blue and gold, and sorry, kid, you know? There you go. There you go. And honestly, I'm not a parent, but I think I can give you this advice. Use the parent, the parental tactic of letting your kid down easy and setting them up for disappointment. I know. Like, I love you. I'm like, but have you watched Arkansas football for the last two years? It's, I don't think you're ready to face Notre Dame, but, you know. Uh, I, I've made a few Bo Pelini jokes, so... Yeah, what more do I need yeah. to say? <laughs> but it, yeah. that's that's a personal life, nothing to do with sports. Um, but um, I guess I'm going to kind of put kind of put you on the spot with this one. But your all-time favorite moment of Notre Dame football on the field? I know it's a hard question, but it's got to be asked. Absolutely, uh, my favorite in-person Notre Dame game ever is Notre Dame Penn State 1992 the snow bowl um the Reggie Brooks in the corner of the end zone catching the touchdown to tie and and Jerome Bettis getting the two-point conversion I mean you can't yep I know that's it that's it it was incredible so we were seniors and as Reggie was going left to catch that pass, we were all leaning forward because it was at the other end of the field. And when he caught it, I swear the whole student section just fell. Like we all fell on top of each other, rushed the field. I got a giant bear hug from Irv Smith. He was covered in mud. Okay, so now I'm covered in mud. I sang in the women's choir and we sang at mass 45 minutes after the game. So I walk into the basilica, covered in mud, and the choir director just looked at me and said, just put on a robe. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> Come on. It's a big one. You're forgiven. you got to be forgiven yeah. for that. So then we end up at a party that night at Rick Meyer's house. So I played inner hall football for my dorm. So our coaches told us, do not go out tonight. We had our championship game in Notre Dame Stadium the next morning at 9 o'clock. He's like, swear to me we won't go out. We swear we won't go out, right? So we go out. We're at Rick's house till like 4 in the morning. My best friend and I, we oversleep. We don't hear the alarm. We wake up at like 8.45, throw on our uniform, go running to the stadium. Our coaches were so pissed. They were like, you're seniors. You know better. We're like, it was like the biggest game I'd ever seen in person and it was all my friends on the field like we're not gonna go to a party come on but we won our championship game in Notre Dame Stadium I was nose tackle go figure I sacked the quarterback and my dad took a whole roll of film of his baby playing football in Notre Dame Stadium so because we won we got the opportunity to buy letterman jackets so I have a Letterman jacket that looks just like the football players with the end, interlocking ND patch, and then inside it has a football that says Inner Hall Champs. That is incredible. <laughs> and I actually know what you're talking about because a, a cousin, one of my cousins, his brother, uh, or I guess he'd be my, my cousin too, Durr, uh, he, he played, he played uh, the intercollegiate football too. So he, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, yeah, I hear they take it pretty serious. We do. So my dad played baseball when he was in Notre Dame, and I wore his Letterman jacket. So when I got mine, I gave him his jacket back. I'm like, you can have your jacket because now I have my own. <laughs> I, I've earned my own. I've gotten to the top. Yep. 
<laughs> that is awesome. Uh, all the all the stories I have from visiting Notre Dame, I, prob I probably couldn't tell on this video because they're not really kid friendly, and we try to be kid friendly here. Uh, right. But uh, I think I would have to say, even though even though Ben, you didn't ask for it, and Lisa, you you didn't ask for it, we'll just all go ahead and share it. I think my favorite memory has to be the first ever Notre Dame game I went to. And that was uh, 1999 against the Naval Academy. Ah. You guys remember that one? Mm hmm Yeah, it was, uh, let's see, I, I think it was Joey Getherall made the catch, got the first down on a fourth and 11 by a couple inches, and then it was, uh, I believe, Dan O'Leary scoring the game-winning touchdown. Yes. <laughs> Love it. And the best part, the best part is you think a game – Halloween weekend, it'd be super cold. No, it was almost 90 degrees, and we were all dumb enough to actually wow. bring our winter gear. <laughs> right. Wow. You never know in South Bend. Yeah. Ben? Oh, I don't know. That's really hard. I think I'll probably, instead of with both of you going football, I'll go basketball. That's going back-to-back -back in the ACC championship to beat not only Duke, but North Carolina. In North Carolina – to win the championship is just insane to me. I mean, basketball-wise, to beat the two two of the biggest blue bloods in college basketball, let alone in their own state, back to back is incredible to me, and that's been yeah. my favorite yeah. so far. Can't imagine. Yeah. Now, uh, now, um, what was I gonna say? Uh, ben, help me out here while I'm while I'm drawing a blank. I lost my train of thought. Ben, you got to help me, man. I don't know what your trains of thoughts are, Sean. Ask a question. So. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Ask a question. With Irv Smith. I mean, it, we've anybody that really follows you on Twitter and Facebook, you know, sees the interactions that you and Irv Smith have together. And you even told us a story of, you know, that that amazing moment that you had with Irv. But just descri just, a little, just describe it just a little bit more for us. Irv is probably one of my best friends from college. You know, we were marketing majors, so <clears throat> we were in all of our classes together. And, you know, he was just the kind of guy in college that he would take the shirt off his back for you. I mean, he'd do anything for you. So when I wrote my first book, he was one of the first guys that I asked, you know, I've got this crazy idea, you know, <clears throat> and they, they all just jumped right on board. So, you know, Whenever Irv needs anything, I'm always happy to help and vice versa. Like, he's always, you know, if I, whatever I need, you know, I'm on the phone and, and they're there for me. So, it truly is the Notre Dame family. Yeah, he's, he, from seeing him on, on his Twitter profile, and I, I think uh, he has a Facebook as well, he is one who's very, he loves to give back to the fans. He's very interacting with them and so I've, I've seen very much of what you're talking about with Irv Smith. He sounds like a very genuine guy. He is, and <clears throat> he just couldn't be prouder of his son. I mean, we were all disappointed when he went to Alabama, but I get it. You know, none of my kids went to Notre Dame, so I'm the poster child of your child has to go where they feel comfortable and what's a good fit. And, I mean, Alabama was the perfect fit for little Irv, and he clearly excelled, right? Yeah. And is doing well as a Viking. So, you know, I think that it's hard. A lot of fans give Irv a lot of pushback 
for his son not going to Notre Dame, but every kid has to make that decision. Like, as much as we would hope our kids would follow in our footsteps, um, it's just not always the case. Um, I have one at Dayton University, I have one at Arkansas, and, and they're both living their best lives. So that's all you can want for your kids. Yeah, and that's something that a lot of, a lot of people don't realize is what might have been great for you wouldn't necessarily be great for your kids. I mean, there might be something else out there that offers them something that's more along the lines of what they want to do. Because I know, and this is just my personal experience um, from family that I I have that went to Notre Dame. I have an uncle who went there who was an architect, one who was a doctor. Um, Notre Notre Dame may not not necessarily offer something that you might want to be involved in. I mean, you know, there's other schools. I mean, every school that I see special, what I call specializes in something like you know you see notre dame produce a lot of architects and business majors you see wisconsin produce a lot of uh engineers uh, a lot of lawyers from the ivy league you know that kind of thing so the point is you you have to let your kid do what is best for them and for their path right and you know i know a lot of notre dame fans don't like nick saban okay but I've actually had some interactions through another gentleman who's an author who has had some incredible interactions with Nick Saban, who happens to be Catholic, who happens to be very involved in um, this retreat system um, that my friend Damon is, and just hearing how Saban has supported this friend of mine in his journey as an author, um, you know, yeah, we don't like Nick Saban, right? Just because of that team. But as a person, he's a great human being. So, you know, I'm just, I'm proud of Irv. I think he's a great father. He's a wonderful friend. And and it's been really fun to watch little Irv. He looks so much like his dad. It's kind of, it's like stepping back in time, you know? But he still has to carry a guy on his back like Irv Sr. did. I know. I'm waiting for that. I just, I just hope it's not against my Chicago Bears. I hope we cream them then. Right. <laughs> no, nothing personal. Nothing right. personal. Just got to stick with my with my team. I um, get it. <laughs> uh, but um, but also um, you know, let's now let's get to let's get to your uh, your books, Lisa, that you've written. The first thing I want to know is is and from the the triumphs of Notre Dame book that I'm currently reading. I'm sorry I haven't read all of it for this interview. I know I'm okay. I'm super professional, right? <laughs> but that's what happens when you uh, when you you switch jobs and you have a lot going on. Uh, but um, <laughs> and we're still in an essential business where I work, believe it or not. So I lucked out. Um, yeah. But what what was the one thing? Well, not just one thing. I'm sure there could be many, but what inspired you to write these books, especially about Notre Dame and, and get yeah. the inside of these guys? So it's there's a little bit of a backstory to it. So in 2009, when the market crashed, I lost my job. Um, and I was out of work for about eight weeks, which wasn't very long at the time. But during that time, I decided I wanted to kind of build my toolbox. I work in marketing as my day job. And so at that point, I got into social media, I started a blog. um, And my blog was called Bridget McGuire's Filling Station, which if you're familiar with South Bend, it used to be a bar um, that we frequented quite often. And so that's kind of how the blog got its name. And the blog was kind of a hodgepodge of 
marketing and mom life and Notre Dame. And as the blog kind of evolved, it became a lot of Notre Dame. And so in 2011, uh, this gentleman reached out to me. They were running a contest for the biggest fan of the Big East Conference. And so they were uh, reaching out to one blogger who was an alumni from every school in the Big East Conference. So they asked me to represent Notre Dame. So they picked these 16 people. There's 10 guys and six girls. They fly us to New York City for media day. So here I am, this silly little blogger that I genuinely thought I was writing to myself, right? So we get to do a media day. We get to interview coaches and players. We have a mandatory writing assignment every two weeks, which was stuff like, if you could create your Big East road trip, where would you go? If you could create your dream dream of Big East basketball, who would be on it? Now, I'm a football person. I like basketball, but I'm not as knowledgeable about basketball. I'm so I'm on, I'm on Google. Best players of the Big East Conference. Like, I don't know this stuff. So they sent us all to our alma mater for a game. So I got to go to the January 2012 Notre Dame-Syracuse game. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Syracuse, undefeated, number one, come into South Bend. It was a blizzard trying to get there. It was like, all you know, Notre Dame went up nine to nothing and never, never looked back. Um, so what I did a little differently was every time Notre Dame played a school in the Big East Conference, I would interview my fellow competitor from that school with my five questions. And it was the same five questions. It was like, you know, who's your favorite rival? What's the best game you've ever seen? Like these kind of questions. So we get to the end of the contest. They score our writing. We had a, there was like voting. You had to vote for me. So they tally everyone's scores and they pick the final four. It's me and three guys. It's St. John's, Villanova, Cincinnati, and me, Notre Dame. So then they said, well, based on what you, all this extra work that you did, they crowned me the winter, the winner. So they flew me to Madison Square Garden, and on center court at Madison Square Garden, they, at halftime, they presented me with the keys to my brand new Volvo. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Wow, wow, wow. That's, yeah, that's insane. It was nuts. So through this contest, I kind of became more aware that the media tends to thrive on the negative stuff. Okay. So this was around the time of, you know, Golson got into some trouble and then all the issues with Manti Teo that happened. And so I call Oscar McBride and I'm like, I have this crazy idea. I want to write a series on my blog called Where Are They Now? And I kind of want to, hey, how did you get to Notre Dame? What was your experience like? You know, what was your favorite memory? Uh, did you play in the NFL? How was that different? And then where are you now? Because everyone wants to know where they go when their sports careers are over. So Oscar was kind of my guinea pig. He His story had like two or 3,000 hits, which was awesome for, again, me who thought I was writing to nobody, right? Yeah. 
And then the second guy I interviewed was Rick Meyer, and it had 10,000 hits. Wow. So very quickly I knew that I, I've got something. So between May of 2012 and January of 2013, I interviewed 32 guys. It was during that magical undefeated season, so, I mean, the timing couldn't have been better. One of the guys happened to be an author, and so I reached out to Marv Russell. was like, hey, I think I have something that might be a book. Can you help me out? So he coached me. We wrote the book in February and March. We edited it in April and May. We sent it to the publisher June 1st. I had a book in my hand in August. It was crazy. Like, I wasn't the kid who, when I grew up, I want to be an author. Like, that wasn't me. I found something I was passionate about. I was able to share their stories and all the wonderful things that they're doing in their communities. And, you know, three books later, it's been incredible. Wow. I, I see. And that's just, that's just more proof of, you know, life can lead, lead you down so many different paths that you weren't even expecting. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think everyone out there could say, like, you know what? This isn't what I shot for, but you know what? It is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. But that that is that is an amazing story. Uh, and just uh, be especially the pre being presented with a Volvo at the at midcourt of Madison Square Garden. I mean, who anticipates Crazy. that? Crazy. I'd never been to the garden. I had only been in New York City once. It was like the most incredible thing and it was the second year of the contest and so we knew the guy the year before had won the car so we kind of knew that's what the end game was but you know they're getting ready to take me out on center court and they're like okay act really surprised when we hand you the keys it's like okay <laughs> now and in, and in these books um and this this probably isn't a fair question because i know they're all great but is there any any player that has been a standout to you that's been probably your your favorite? I know it's it's really hard because I hate to pick favorites. You know what I mean? Obviously, the guys from my class are kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, the story there's a couple of stories that I tend to gravitate to, um, and one would be Pat Fallon. So. Pat's in the second book. He was on the 88 team. He played wide out, but his wife likes to say he played left out. He didn't play very much. Um, he he's, has an incredible story. He played football at Notre Dame and did Air Force ROTC at the same time, which to do ROTC in football, I mean, football is hard enough, balancing class and film room and you know practice and travel but to add ROTC on top of that is you know a big time commitment and a lot of extra classes so after Notre Dame he served um, and then he went on to become an entrepreneur he started his own company and the proceeds go to um, benefit veterans so um, he is married they have two kids and he was about 48 years old. And a couple who is a friend of theirs, they have twin boys that were seven years old. And Pat and his wife, their kids are about the same age. And um, one of the children gets diagnosed with cancer. Oh. And so 
Pat's like, I see it on Facebook. Uh, I'm trying not really to get involved. He's like, my wife is super involved. But he's like, it was so hard to watch because our kids were the same age. Um, he's sitting one night watching ESPN, and they have a story about the World Marathon Challenge. And Pat gets this crazy idea. I'm going to run the World Marathon Challenge and raise money for pediatric cancer. So he asks his wife, he's like, what do you think? And she's like, well, if you're going to do it for Johnny, go, go for it. So he calls the organizers of this race. And he says, you know, I'd like to run this. This is kind of what my intention is. And they're like, well, it's kind of funny. We only let 15 people participate every year. And we just had somebody drop out. So he signs up. It's like October. He's like 48. He hasn't run more than a 5K, okay, in 20 years. So he starts training. He trains in October, November, December. The race is like end of January, beginning of February. So Johnny passes away right after Christmas. And he tells his, his wife, I'm still going to run it. Like, we're going to run it for Johnny. We're running it for his family. And so, and the family is, like, so grateful that he's still, you know, increasing awareness for pediatric cancer. So he runs the race. The first race is in Antarctica. Oh, no. <laughs> it's incredibly cold. It takes him, like, six hours to finish it. And you have to finish each race in a certain amount of time or you don't make it to the next race. So the challenge is seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. So Antarctica is day one. Then they're in Chile on day two. They're in Miami on day three, and the family came to watch him run because they were in the United States. Um, Then he's, like, in Spain. So he gets to about... I think it was the fifth or sixth race. And he tells his wife, I had this crazy dream, and Johnny really came to me. He's like, I'm, I'm running today for Johnny. So he ran that day for Johnny, and he ran it in, like, five hours. It was pretty good time, considering we're at, like, day five or six. Sorry, there are cats fighting in the background. Uh, I have several, so no, I, it's understandable. So he gets to the last race. They're in Australia. It's an out and back. So it's like 13.1 miles out and then back. And the way the race goes is you're either with the wind one way or the other. So now the people that are running these races are like super ultra marathon runners. These guys who run like 100 miles and all this crazy stuff. Two of the guys are like... Uh, Marines, I mean, they're all insane. So one of the guys was from Australia, was really familiar with the race. So Pat says, "Um, I want to run today's race in four hours. And the guy's like, we're day seven. You're you're not running anything in four hours. And he's like, well, I I know, he knew that the guy was going to run in four hours. So he's like, will you just pace me? And he's like, sure. 
So they start the race. They're running with the wind. The guy's pacing him. He's feeling pretty good. They get to the 13.1. They turn around to come back. And he keeps asking people, what's my time? What's my time? And no one will tell him what his time is. And he's getting really frustrated because he's like, I just wanted to do this one thing. No one's helping me. And he's like, sure, that his time is so bad. And that's why they're not telling him. So when they flipped around, the wind changed. And now the wind is still at his back. Like, both. Last mile. So Pat lives in Texas now. So he hits the last mile. They hand him the Texas flag, the United States flag, and they tell him, run as hard as you can. He runs as hard as he can. He finishes the, crosses the finish line, and he looks at the clock. Three hours and 53 minutes. Holy cow. He beat the four-hour mark by seven minutes in a marathon that he ran seven times in seven days on seven continents. Johnny was seven years old when he passed, and they raised like $77,000 for pediatric cancer. And as I'm doing the interview, I'm taking notes, and I'm on page seven of the Word document. Wow. I just... It's It's like... Every guy I interview, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is the best story ever. And then you get to the next guy, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is the best story ever. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, that, was, that wasn't a fair question to ask. That wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> but it had to be asked. I, yeah. And, I mean, that's kind of – that is really one of my favorite stories. It's just so emotional and just how everyone play, – everything played out. Um, the family happened to live 45 minutes away from me, so I got a chance to meet the family. I got to go to a benefit with their foundation, and, you know, as a parent, I can't imagine bearing a child. And so to be able to see that all, all the work that Pat has done with their foundation is just, I mean, that's that's a testament of the Notre Dame family mm-hmm. and what all these guys are doing in their communities. Yeah, yeah, and... Um... I, I know. I actually know that feeling. I uh, lost my oldest brother back in 1998, and I've, I've unfortunately had the chance to see what it's like for parents to bury a child, and it is one of the, yeah. the worst things that you could ever have to do as a parent. And I would, I certainly would not wish yeah. on anybody or hope that anybody has to go through that. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry for your loss. <laughs> Hey, I, I know he's up he's up there watching and he's like, Sean, carry on my legacy. Carry on yep. carry me on. Keep me in your keep me in your heart. I haven't gone anywhere. Right. Exactly. They're all still with us. Yes, absolutely. And I'm not trying to infringe my beliefs on anybody, but that's how I feel. Um but uh one thing that we definitely learned from that story is don't ever tell anybody no. No, that's a that's a dangerous that's a dangerous thing. You tell anybody, you tell somebody, no, they can't do it. They will prove you wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and so when I was interviewing the people for the second book, I I put twenty five guys in the first book. I had thirty two interviews already done, so I already had you know the next eight already built in. Um, so it was the last time Notre Dame played Navy in Ireland. 
and my best friend from college happened to be sitting right in front of Pat Fallon's parents, okay? So that's kind of how I met Pat, is she came home, and she's like, you have to interview this guy. And I'm like, dude, I already have 25, I already had more than 25 people for the next book. And she just wouldn't let it go. She's like, you have to call this guy, you have to call this guy. So here I am in January, right? Like that book was going to press, going to the publisher June 1st. And I'm like getting original content still in January. She's like, you have to interview him. And of course it was such an incredible story. And it's like, okay, I promise I will listen to you the next time you come to me with somebody. <laughs> learn, you learn from your mistakes, right? Knock on wood. Yep, so <laughs> there's 30 guys in the second book, just because I kept getting people coming to me. Like you have to interview this person. Okay, fine. <laughs> Well, I mean, so far from what I've read, I mean, they're pretty incredible stories, and it's it's definitely something that a lot of people could learn from, and not just about going to school, I think, but I think just about life in general, how to have that balance. Yeah. And then we were really excited with the third book to kind of expand to other sports and get some women involved. So, you know, I, I love hockey. I love baseball. So it was really cool to kind of get – different sports. I am not a golfer, but there's two golfers in the book and I learned a whole lot about golf. So, you know, it's been fun to meet new people. And, you know, I have had the pleasure of having the support of Coach Holtz. And, you know, when you have somebody like that in your corner, it just, it has opened a lot of doors for me. Yeah. I mean, and Lou Holtz, he, he's definitely a, an inspirational guy. That's for sure. Yeah, he, you know, my first book came out um, in August of 2013, and that first weekend, um, Notre Dame played at home, Labor Day weekend, and we were back at the hotel after the game, and my phone just started blowing up, and everyone's like, turn on ESPN right now. Coach Holtz is arguing with Mark May, and he's using your book in his argument, and I'm like, what? That's awesome. That is cool. They were arguing about whether or not they should pay players, and, you know, he's citing stuff out of my book, and I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> See, that that is so awesome. It's so awesome when, when you can actually, uh, I mean, granted, you went to Notre Dame, you interacted with a lot of these guys, but that is awesome when somebody of that magnitude is actually using your work on national TV. Yeah, I never, I mean, it's incredible. So some friends of mine who have a radio show, they were having Coach Holtz on, and they're like, do you want to come on at the end and surprise them? I'm like, sure. So they interview Coach, and then at the very end, they're like, you know, we have someone who wants to come on and um, say something to you. So they bring me on, and I said, you know, I just want a chance to thank Coach Holtz for his support and, you know, writing the forward of my new book. And Coach Holtz just starts, he's like, well, 19 of her 25 players played for me, and he's running stats for my book that I didn't even know. Like, right. he's like, and X many of them did this, and, and so many of them did this, and like 10 minutes he's talking about my book, and I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> and and I, got, I got to say, to be honest with you, I, I think even though him and Mark May spent many a years battling it out on ESPN, I'm pretty sure they're good friends in real life. 
They are. Yeah, they are. If that was way more for show than it was for anything else, but well, it plays you know. Pitt and Notre Dame rivalry too. Yeah, and, you know they played for Pitt, so. Well, you. I love. I love how Coach said, you know, I signed the front of the check and you signed the back of the check. <laughs> <laughs> that that's good. That is good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's funny. But I was just going to say, though, you guys would both be surprised with how many people take that stuff seriously, these back and forths oh. that you see on oh. on TV. Oh, yeah. It's it's crazy. I've heard, I've heard stories. I had I had family play in the NFL. So, you know, I, I, I've heard many stories about how players and personalities take, take a lot of stuff very serious. So, yes, they do. It's incredible. But one of the things I really liked about your books is the fact that you tell these guys – stories about what they've done after Notre Dame because we focus on their their careers you know at Notre Dame as as a football player and then on into the NFL if some of them make it and once they retire and they they hang it up they kind of disappear you know and they still have a life and you wonder what what they're doing you know and and it's incredible what some of them do but you just never hear about it because it's not part of their career in football. So, you know, that that is, to me, the most interesting and neat thing that you've done with your books. It's been so much fun, and it's so cool to see, you know, Rick Meyer has a winery in Napa Valley, you know. One of my guys became a Methodist preacher. I've got one on an oil rig off the coast of Australia, so it's so cool to see where they've all landed. Um, and, you know, another happy accident that's come out of this is I've been able to reconnect a lot of guys that had kind of lost touch with each other. And so it's been really cool to be like, hey, I just talked to so-and-so. And then the next guy's like, oh, my gosh, I haven't talked to him forever. Do you have his number? Like, it's been really cool to kind of connect everyone back together. And I don't know. I never expected any of this like the people that I've met and of course like there was a bunch of the guys that are my classmates that we've been friends for 30 years um, and so I expected those people to be supportive not necessarily expected but you know that wasn't a surprise to me the surprise to me is when I'm in a city and you know I get a text from Tony Rice hey, I hear you're in town, you know, let's sign books. Like, you know, Tim Brown texted me to wish me a happy birthday, and I just almost died. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, these kind of friendships that I've cultivated, just, it's, it's, I have to pinch myself, you know, totally. (laughs) So it kind of feels like a dream at times. It does. Like, it's just really surreal. So now I have a weekly column on One Foot Down, and I'm also, like, an amateur photographer, totally amateur. So I do photography for another Notre Dame website. So I'm on the sideline at as many home games as I can get to. And just to be that close to the game that I love so much is just incredible like for five years I did a little bit of sideline reporting just to be in you know in the press room and interviewing the guys after the game 
it's just crazy. I if you would have told me ten years ago all of this stuff that's happened in the last ten years, I would have told you you were crazy. Like this has been such a crazy ride, and I am so grateful to all the opportunities that I've had. Yeah, and, and again, sp- and speaking of amateur, you know, we appreciate you giving uh, me and Ben the time of day. Or I. Yeah, I love, you know, supporting other Notre Dame journalists because I kind of feel that's what we all are, right? We're trying to spread the good word about Notre Dame football, and well, so I love... Journalists, you're being too kind to us now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i a machinist for a living, and Ben, uh, he works for a school district. Yeah. So we're nowhere, uh, we're we nowhere get... close to journalists. That's being way too kind, Lisa. Yeah. It's all good. But hey, we'd like to. Th- we'd just like to think that you know we're fans that can keep it real, and you know, we'll just give everybody a good time. Absolutely. Um, so, you're one of the most level-headed people when it comes to fanship that I've seen on Twitter for Notre Dame. Um, so, what do you what do you expect of this upcoming season? Ooh, well, a, I hope we have an upcoming season. Yeah, I, I <laughs> uh, agree. I think that there's a very good chance that when Clemson comes to town in November, we could be undefeated. So that would kind of be my highlight is if we can get to Clemson, I think Wisconsin's going to be a big challenge. Um, but, man, if we could get to Clemson and have two undefeateds, I'm, I'm ready for that rematch. I was at the Clemson game, and we need a do-over for that. Yes, absolutely. And uh, one thing I got to tell you that I hope doesn't happen come November, regardless whether we're undefeated or not, and and Ben has heard me say this numerous times, I hope that that stadium is not half orange. I know. Because Georgia, yeah. Georgia in 2017, that was, and this is me being real, not making a joke, that's the only time that Notre Dame fans have disappointed me. Yeah. How do well, you, there was the Nebraska game where there was a lot of red in the crowd, too. Okay, okay sorry. <laughs> I mentioned Nebraska two times. I'm sorry. Two times yeah. the fans have disappointed me. Yeah. I mean, get out there and Nebraska, support these though, guys. I will give Nebraska credit because I have traveled quite a bit around the country, and you can find a Nebraska bar in any state. It's insane how yeah. how widespread they are. So I can I, I'll give Notre Dame fans a pass on that Nebraska game because of that, but yeah, uh, the Georgia game was really was kind of disappointing with the amount of fanship. Yeah. Well, and then when we played at Georgia, it happened to be Parents Weekend at Arkansas, and of course her game started at like six thirty, and Georgia Notre Dame started at seven. So we're in the stadium, and I've got my phone, like, <laughs> mom. You're not even watching this game. And I'm like, hi, have you met me? I went to Notre right. Dame. We're playing oh, yeah. Georgia. Yeah. I'm like, you should be happy I'm here, okay? Yeah. Sean, Sean was one of my groomsmen in my wedding. And uh, there was a Notre Dame game that, that weekend. And it was not like early or late game. It was the middle of the day, like right when I was getting married. And uh, one of my wife's bridesmaids, her, her whole family had gone to Notre Dame. She was like one of the first people in her family not to go to Notre Dame. So it was like me, Sean, and one of my other groomsmen's a big Notre Dame fan too, and her, and we're all like huddled around this phone, like wondering what's going on with Notre Dame North Carolina game. It was so my and my my wife to be is like at this point my wife, and she's like, you get off your phone and like do our wedding. 
You're like, no. <laughs> that was the closest I had seen her become Bridezilla. Yeah. Uh-oh. But this was, wasn't... This wasn't it was funny. Just to be fair, this wasn't, like, during the actual ceremony. It was during, like, pictures. Right. But still. But still. But still. <laughs> yeah. Well, and actually, the cool part, Lisa, what, what he failed to mention is uh, that was actually the first time him and I met in person was the weekend of his wedding. Yeah, we had done so many like video chats and stuff. It was like we had already met, so that that was that's cool. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause, see, I I've, I've been doing YouTube on my own for like um, oh since two thousand nine. Ben came along a few years later, caught the videos, and we just you know exchanged phone numbers, talked for several years, and then finally out of the blue, well not finally, but out of the blue, he's like, hey Sean, I want you to be a groomsman in my wedding. I'm like. You've never even met me. He's like, yeah, but I, I've talked to you enough. I, I trust you. I, I feel like I yep. know you enough. And so here, here we are today. <laughs> I know. I've met so many Notre Dame people on Twitter. And my college friends, you know, will be tailgating. And they'll say, oh, how'd you meet this person? And I'm like, Twitter. Well, how'd yeah. you meet this person? Twitter. And they're like, what is happening? Yeah, social media is a great and bad thing at the same time. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can meet some really great people, and then there's a lot of crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, I, I, I could, I have uh, ten years worth of crazy stories from online activity. I mean, I had a, uh, I basically had Jim Seymour's grandson basically want to beat me up. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, that's that says a lot right there. So, yep. but, but there's been plenty of good out of it too. I mean, I met Ben. Uh, I have a a friend over in Ireland that I'm good friends with, all because we decided to venture on on a YouTube or social media one day. Yeah. So so it, as bad as as bad as the internet can be, it can be a good place too, with a lot where a lot yeah. of good things happen. For sure. So let me ask you my my I think my favorite question that I thought of. What does an Endy an an Endy alum mean to you? Being an Endy alum, I should say. <sighs> Wow, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I feel very fortunate that I had four years at Notre Dame. I think that my friends from Notre Dame are definitely my lifelong closest friends. Um, I think Notre Dame was pretty hard. Um, I started out as an aerospace engineer, which I ended up with a business degree, so you can see how well that worked out. I had never really faced any adversity at that point. I had straight A's all four years in high school. So, I mean, Notre Dame was a big eye-opener to me about failing, that failing's okay, that you're not really growing or learning if you're not trying things and failing. Um, And I think I learned at Notre Dame not just how to overcome adversity, but a love for learning. So I'm always taking classes, learning new things, because I feel like you can never stop growing and learning. So I think all of those things that I got out of my Notre Dame education I use in my job, in my writing, in parenting, in relationships. Like, I think who I am is a direct result of what I learned at Notre Dame. So Now, and in, in addition to that, now myself, I can't really speak on this because I didn't. I pretty much just went straight to work out of high school. I didn't go to a four a four year university like Notre Dame, but I've heard so many different answers on this, and I'd like to know yours. 
Is there one single or one single one single thing that scares you the most about making the adjustment from high school to college, or is it all kind of equal? Like in like this, the classes, the you know, um, not having mom and dad there to, to do your laundry or cook your supper, that kind of thing. I was probably the exception to the rule because I was so ready to go to college. I mean. I went from Los Angeles, California, to South Bend, Indiana. You can't get a bigger culture shock than that right there. I had never, I hadn't lived through a winter since I was like nine years old. So, you know, I had to buy a new wardrobe and a winter coat. And But I was so ready for a fresh start. Uh, my parents dropped me off at school. And I wasn't going home till Christmas. My mother is crying, and I'm like, "Bye, see you, see you at Christmas." Yeah. Like I was so ready to go. Like my friends are all sobbing with their parents, and I'm like, "What is wrong with you people? We're in Notre Dame. Like this is supposed to be the best years of our life." And then you know, flash forward four years, when it was time to graduation. I was, again, like, I was ready. I was ready to graduate. I had learned what I needed to learn. I was ready to move on. My parents and my best friend, they're all sobbing, and I'm like, this should be a happy time. Like, we're ready to step out and take what we've learned and execute off of it. And so, I mean, I've kind of always felt like I've been in that right place, right time, um, you know. And then when I dropped my kids off at college, trying to like it's totally different when you're on the other side and you're dropping your kids off at college they uh when we were at Dayton University they kind of separated the parents and kids for some of the orientation weekend stuff before they put us back together for the mass and they told us just remember that however you act the last time you see your kid before they go into their dorm room, like, do you want to leave them with a happy face or do you want to leave them with a crying face? And I was like, oh, well, I didn't think of that. <laughs> like, trying to, like, mm. hold all the tears in, be happy, say goodbye, walk out of his room and just bald, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that is kind of good advice when you think about it. It was great advice. Like, that was probably the best thing I heard from, you know, dropping kids off at college was, you know, be mindful of how, you know, how you leave them is how they start their college career. And I was like, oh, no pressure there, right? Yeah. Right. Oh, well, it's like people think it's goodbye. It's not goodbye. It's just, right. know, I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it, yeah, it's going to be different because, you know, your kid, you're not going to have your kids at home. Your kids are living on their own. It's not, it's different. Yeah. But it's not goodbye. Yeah. That's what people, that's, that's the, the wrong way uh, that people take it. I think. And it's been so fun as a parent to kind of watch them take their journey and, you know, because Dayton's only four hours from Notre Dame, he usually comes up to hang out with me when I work football games. So, you know, he seeing is well, Dayton has a football team, but they don't really go to watch it. So he's still a big Notre Dame fan. They're they're down at B dubs watching Notre Dame and so well, he's Michael Patrick Kelly and he has red hair. How could he not like Notre Dame, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's very true. I mean, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Way, way to go. Well, shut up, Ben. You're not doing any better. <laughs> this, see, this is us getting raw. 
No. Right? So, so it, it is funny that you, did, that you mentioned that, you know, your one child goes to Arkansas because I'm friends with a couple, a couple Notre Dame uh, former players on Facebook. And I, and I know one of them, um, his one daughter goes to Florida state and you might know who I'm talking about, Yep. <laughs> but it's just, it's interesting. Cause I saw him post a picture the other day on Facebook and he was in Florida state gear. And it's like, okay, you for Notre Dame, man. Like, are you kidding? Like, I just, but I mean, like you said, you got to support them no matter what. So it, it, not everybody can be the Golic family and have right. everybody go to Notre Dame. I mean, just, it is what it is. So yeah. Well, um, my favorite Golic story is we were at a tailgate and Mike Golick Sr. and his wife walk up, and I know them fairly well. And I had my daughter with me and one of her friends. She was a junior in high school. And so I went up to Mrs. Golick, and I said, would you mind if I asked, introduced your husband to my daughter? And she's like, absolutely. So I drag her over, and I introduce her to and I'm like, you know, we're here on her official visit to Notre Dame. And so he's asking her a couple questions. And then he says to her, so do you want to go to Notre Dame? And so she's, well, you know, my grandpa went to Notre Dame and my mom went to Notre Dame. And he's like, no, that's not what I asked you. I asked you, do you want to go to Notre Dame? And she looked right at him and said, you're the first person who's asked me if I want to go there. Like, I thought that was so cool that that was his, what his question was. And he's like, yeah, all my kids went to Notre Dame. He's like, but I left that decision up to them. Like, I didn't force them to go there. And I thought that was so cool because, of course, you know, everyone I would introduce my daughter to, oh, I bet you can't wait to go to Notre Dame. And she's like, well, they don't have what I want to study, you know. So to have... Michael, like, like, that was his question. Like, that was super impressive to me. Yeah, and, and I think I think especially with, with uh, his children, you know, people always expect them to be to be like, oh yeah, you get to go, you you get to go carry on the Golic tradition at Notre Dame, and people forget <laughs> like that may not be what they want to do. Yeah. So, but thankfully, in their case, you know, they wanted to. Yeah, they're such a they're such a hilarious family. <laughs> Uh, if they're if they're if uh, well, I've seen I've seen Mike and Mike Junior on TV, so I can only wonder what the rest of the family's like. They're awesome. Yeah, they're super good people. So I'm happy. I've met them all. I don't think I've met Sydney, but I know the boys pretty well, and they're great great people. Well, I can I can tell you one thing, and this is something I've actually thought about. Um, now, I, I, I myself, I'm single at the moment. But I, I know that I can tell you with certainty that if I ever had a, had a kid and he or she wanted to go somewhere that wasn't Notre Dame, <laughs> yes, I would accept it if they wanted to go to USC or Michigan or Miami or whatever. I, I, think I, I think I would be a good parent along, along those lines. Right. <laughs> well, my, my plan is to split an Arkansas shirt in half and split a Notre Dame shirt in half and sew them together. Sort of, you know, Brady Quinn sister-esque. And, uh, I was about to say, yep. The yeah. Or, but, uh, or you could always do the, the, S- the Saturday Night Live super fans when, uh, when Mike Didka went to the, to the uh, Saints <laughs> and, you know, take a, take a Bears jersey and a Saints jersey and glue it down the center with nacho cheese. 
That so would be that's awesome. the plan. And I'm not working the game. I've already asked off for that one so that I can actually enjoy it with her. So so we'll have a good time. House divided and may the best team win, right? Well, that would <laughs> be fun awesome. if you have the house divided. So that'd be kind of cool. I'm excited. So Lee Becton, his roommate from Notre Dame, um, Chris's son is also at Arkansas, so we're super excited to have everyone together and and have a good rivalry. So yeah, it's and when people pe- when people think rivalry, they they think hate, and hate's not always the no. that's not always how it goes. I mean, I've yeah. I, I was down in Georgia uh, for the the game this past year. I didn't get inside the stadium, but one of my good friends off off of YouTube, he's a Georgia fan, and. I was actually treated very well by a lot of people down there. So, yeah, so, it seemed so that, like it was a great experience. Yeah, it really was. It really was. And, you know, I met all sorts of cool people. They didn't – it's it's not like how it's made out to be, like, on the message boards and on the media. Like, oh, right. we hate each other. We hate each other. No, there was – I think I had maybe two people say some negative things towards me, and they were yeah. both they were both of the inebriated state, put it that way. Probably one of the worst environments I've been to was going to Ann Arbor. Oh, I knew she was going to either say Ann Arbor or East Lansing. I knew it would be one of those two. Bad. So the game last year was on my birthday, and it poured down rain. And then to lose like that, and the fans were just awful. Like, I I was my first and last trip to Ann Arbor. I don't ever need to go back. (laughs) Yeah, a one-time thing. I get it. I've never, yep. I've never gone there, and I probably never will because uh, I had heard the stories long before Lisa, you said anything about it. But my uncle Jack went to a game. I forget when it was, but they they were throwing glass beer bottles oh, at, at, they, him, at him and his son. They passed out rally towels, and the fans had so it's pouring down rain. They nodded them and then threw them out onto the field like soaking wet, so they were heavy. I don't know. It's just. It was awful. This guy was yelling obscenities at some poor little kid, and I got an usher. I'm like, seriously, I you have to take care of that. Yeah, I mean that's that stuff's uncalled for, and I'm not saying that that our fan base is perfect. That I haven't seen an Irish no, an Irish fan who hasn't been drunk or anything like that. Right. But to actually go out of your way to curse at a kid or to throw a beer bottle at somebody, I mean that that's that's yeah. obnoxious. That's, it's that's a game, right? Like you have to let it go. It yeah. seems like both of the Michigan teams, too. It really does. I mean, I yeah. I went on a date with a gal that went to St. Mary's, and she was telling me a story of how she went. they went to East Lansing one year to watch a game, and they threw full beer cans at her and her roommate. And I'm like, that's just despicable. Like, I just... It's just not I, necessary. Yeah. Like, doing that. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So, yeah, I... I knew you were going to say Michigan or Michigan State when you, <laughs> you said that. Uh, I, I don't even know if I should comment about Michigan State. What do you think, Ben? No, no, I wouldn't. I, okay, yeah, well, be that. To, but I will say, and I don't know how much, um, how many other teams you've seen Notre Dame play um, in person, but I've seen Oklahoma fans. I've bumped into Oklahoma fans and Nebraska, and they are two of the classiest fan bases. Yeah. For, program when i say program like blue blood um because i mean they can brag a lot kind of like we can you know with what notre dame has done in the past and all that 
they were just so humble, both of those fan bases. It was crazy to interact with a fan base that would have so much stuff they could talk and them be the way they were. So that's kind of my little shout out in this video to the both of those fan bases. I mean, overwhelmingly, I think that the fans have been pretty nice. Every once in a while, we were at the Florida Sugar Bowl game in 91, and those fans were terrible, you know. But um, Who got the last <laughs> laugh? Yeah, we certainly did. Jerome Vettis high-stepping into the end zone. <laughs> oh, man, I was actually watching that game the other day, and it just – I was only six at the time, but – and I didn't quite understand college football back then, but I do remember watching that game briefly and having a good time. Yep. It was pretty fantastic. <laughs> well, well, just the fact they were saying that – now, of course, you know, the, the format of college football was set up very differently back then, so we could go to a major bowl game with an 8-3 and three record, but just the backstory of, of them saying that you know, the, the press that is, that we didn't belong and this and that, it, yeah, made it that much sweeter. The stories from that game are awesome because the guys will tell, you know, Coach Holtz used to do this Friday night walkthrough where he'd have the guys, like, laying on the field in the dark, and he would go through kind of what how the game was going to play out. And part of what he went through was, well, this is going to happen, and then Coach Spurrier is going to throw his hat, and he kind of walked them through, you know, this guy is going to catch the punt return and run it back for a touchdown. And as they were in the game, and exactly what he said was playing out, like, to a T, and something happened, and Spur gets pissed, and he throws his hat, and the guys are all like, what? <laughs> like, did right. Coach Schultz have some magic eight ball? That <laughs> it was, uh, I think it was, uh, who was it, Clint? Um, Clint Walker, didn't he? He told that same thing, that same story. Clint Johnson Clint talks Johnson, about I'm it. Sorry, yep. Clint Johnson. I, I was thinking, I was thinking, uh, Clint Johnson and Darius Walker. For some reason, yep, Darius yep. Walker popped in there. But yeah, yeah, Clint Johnson told that same story, so I, I remember that. Yep, it's great. Like it was just incredible how Coach Holtz. I mean, he prepared them, and I think practices for them were harder than anything they experienced in a game because he made sure they saw everything in practice so that when they got to a game, they knew exactly what to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I, I can actually speak uh, firsthand of that because I saw um, – I was actually privileged to uh, see a, a, a closed practice one time back in 97. Uh, it was actually the year of the new stadium after they'd done all the re renovations on it. Wow. And I got to, again, I'm not, I'm not mentioning names because everything I do online, I want to keep just to me, <coughs> you know, but, um, my family member who at the time, I actually, I think he still does work for Notre Dame in some capacity. He got us into a practice and man, were those guys going at each other? Hardcore. Yep. Holy cow. I mean, grant granted Bob Davies coaching tenure wasn't the greatest, but, uh, he still had those guys hungry. I got to give him that much. Yep. And the the funny part about that uh that that whole practice is uh the athletic director at the time I forget his first name but uh Kelly. Kevin was that Kevin White? Uh, yeah, I was thinking it was, yeah yes Kevin White I was thinking it was Kevin Kelly. Um <laughs> yeah Kevin White I was sitting next to him the whole time talking with him and I had no clue who he was. <laughs> 
You're like, hey. Yeah, like, hey, hello. Uh, who who is this guy sitting next to me? I mean, I'm I'm this 11 year old kid. I don't know who it is. That's awesome. Yeah, and he's just like talking. He's like, so you having fun up here, young man? I'm like, yes, I am. Uh, he's like, who's your favorite player? And I'm like, oh, I'd have to say Ron Paulus. He's like, yeah, he's a good quarterback. You know how a, uh, an adult would talk to a kid. It was right. it was just like that. And then he gets up and he's like, well, Sean, it was nice meeting you. Shakes my hand. And he walks away, and uh, my uncle, he says to me, Sean, you know who that was, right? And I'm like, no. He goes, that's our athletic director of the university, Kevin uh, Boyle. And I'm like, oh, so I just shook hands with a bigwig, huh? Right. <laughs> but that was great, though. I got I got to meet Ron Paulus that day, got to meet Autry Denson, Bobby Howard. It was a blast. Uh, but but still, though, those, those guys, they were, they were just, in that practice, they were kicking the crap out of each other. Yep. But it, it was ridiculous. I know. I uh, I got a phone call the other day, and it was Autry Denson. And he's like, you know, people keep talking about you, and I felt that it was time that we I introduced myself to you. He's, I'm like, oh, hi, Autry Denson. <laughs> I was like, how can I help you? So it was pretty cool. He has a book that he wants to write, and so um, – uh, April Adams, who is Josh Adams' mom, I had helped her a little bit. She wrote a book about Josh's story, and um, Autry wrote the foreword for her book. And so she was kind of talking about me, and the next thing I know, Autry's calling me like, hey, can I pick your brain? I'm like, sure, why not? <laughs> I mean, you, you've had some success. I mean, why, why would you not want to pick uh, the brain of somebody who has had that kind of success in the writing world? I know and I'm always happy to help people. Like if I, I feel like I learned a lot of lessons with the first book and like what to do and what not to do. So I always feel like, hey, if I can help somebody else not reinvent the wheel, that's totally what I'm there for. So it's been cool. I've met a lot of people and I have a couple of projects coming in the pipeline. So it's been a lot of fun. Nice. Nice. Um, well, Lisa, um, I'm all out of questions at this point. Um, ben, do you have any more? Oh, she, you guys, you, you asked a couple of mine actually. So, <clears throat> and, and it was great. So kind of on the same wavelength, but yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. It's been great to be here. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. And again, Lisa, you know, Ben and I appreciate it very much because, you know, we're just trying to, this was actually a, spur, a last minute spur of the moment idea that Ben had about us doing this, this little show here and, I think, I don't know, you're what? What is this what, our eighth episode, Ben? Something like that, eight or nine. Yeah. yeah. And so, so again, we are very honored that you actually would gave us the time of day to be able to talk to you and get to know you and just, you know, from two Irish fans to another. Well, I love Notre Dame, and so any chance I get to talk about my favorite thing, which is Notre Dame football. I'm always happy to anyone who will listen to me. And my kids are so tired of hearing me talk about football that they're like, please talk to somebody else. Yeah, that's how my wife is. So I, I... <laughs> yeah, and if it, if it tells you anything, you and Irv both reached out to us um, here at the two Irish brothers at about the same time. I would say it was probably like, maybe an hour between like both awesome. the, just to show that both you and Irv are on the same wavelength but just it was nuts not I remember like seeing the messages and of course I was at work at the time 
because I work nights, and I'm like, oh my gosh, Lisa Kelly just just messaged us, and then uh, then Irv Smith comes in, and I'm like, oh my gosh, Irv Smith just I'm like, what is happening right now? I'm like we haven't even done much, and we already got people wanting yeah. to talk to you. So, yeah, I think at that point, at that point, very, is, very much is an honor. At, at that point, we only had one episode uh, put together and posted. And and Lisa, don't take any disrespect by this, but thing is, Ben's more in the know than I am. I didn't really know who you were. All good. <laughs> so, but once but once I found out who you were, I started to really appreciate more. But just just forgive me for saying this, but but when I saw Irv Smith, I'm like, no, no way. <laughs> this, has got, this has got to be a troll account or something. It has to be a trolling on. It has to be a fake. Nope. And I'm like, actually him. <laughs> all right. I mean, I just didn't know what to think about that when you know Ben sent me that message. And I'm like, be careful, dude. There's a lot of fakes out there. Right. <laughs> it's just uh, I've I've had having family play played in the NFL. They're not there anymore. I'm more used to the bigger name people reaching out and saying something, and you know it's. I can say some story. I can tell some stories. I won't tell them, but if it puts it in perspective, I actually partied with a Keith Lieb. I mean, so it, it's just it's it's incredible how how the six degrees of separation works. Yep. <laughs> and when you have somebody like like Irv Smith message you nine times out of ten, it really is them. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my rule of thumb and 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 pointer to people is that it really is them and they're and most of them are very genuine people they all started where we are at you know yeah. all started at, at the bottom and 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 venturing out in outside their comfort zone and for the most part there are a few bad eggs but for the most part they are very genuine and and willing to to be an awesome human being to you even though they are on a higher pedestal yeah quote unquote well, and like with my writing, obviously I started with the guys that I knew who were in my classes. Then I asked them to introduce me to people. Hey, who do you know that you think would be interested in doing this? But I'm telling you, I sent a lot of random messages on LinkedIn and Facebook like, hi, you don't know me, but I'm a Notre Dame grad and I have this crazy idea, I want to write a book. And I would say I can count on one hand the people who have said no, and I've had a hundred people say yes. So, you know, the project that I'm working on now, I have gotten to some pretty big names that I'm really excited about, like people that I've never had the opportunity to get to, and everyone's pretty excited. So, um, Well, don't give them away, because I want to be surprised nope, by it. I'm not... <laughs> We kept we kept you as a surprise. We did. Yeah, I'm excited. I have like three or four projects right now, kind of in the works. So, um, some different. Like I'm writing books, but they're going to be a little different format. Um, so I'm really excited about what's coming. So, stay tuned. Yeah, we we definitely look forward to seeing, it. and I'm sure the whole uh, the whole 28 people we have on Twitter following us will look forward to it as well. <laughs> Yeah. But but I was well, gonna, I was gonna say real quick too. That's that's one of the best things I think you can do for someone, you know, like an Irv Smith or a Ron Meyer or or whoever, is just treat them like a normal person. Yeah, yeah. yeah their their uh, employment might be on a higher pedestal, a higher pedestal, but they're still people just like us. And they want to be treated normal. They don't like. They don't always like the royalty treatment at all. 
Well, and one of the best compliments I got was I was interviewing Pat Terrell, and I didn't know Pat. One of the guys introduced me to Pat, and so we did the interview, and he said what I liked most about the interview for the book was that it was just like two friends talking. You know, I'm not some hard-nosed reporter. I'm not trying to scoop a story. Like, not everyone's stories are perfect. They're, they make mistakes. They learn lessons. They overcome. But we've done a, a good job at telling stories that oftentimes tell a lesson, you know, that have happy endings. Um, like, I don't want to do anything to tarnish anyone's reputation, right? Like, everybody, you know sees their story before it goes anywhere and he's like I just appreciate how it was a joint collaboration you know we're trying to tell stories about them and the university that make all of us proud you know mm -hmm. and some of the stories that we've told have been hard to tell but I feel like we've found a way to do it in a positive light you know I mean they're not all perfect. I'm not perfect, you know. So I feel like any time that we can teach a lesson and prevent someone from making a mistake, like, we've done a good job. So to to hear Pat, you know, because I, when I interview the guys, I often t share stories from my experience at Notre Dame so that they understand that we have something in common and it helps them feel at ease. Um, and so I like the fact that he said it was like a conversation between old friends, even though I had never met him, you know. Yeah. So to me, that was the biggest compliment. And I, and I think that's that's a great approach to have, too. And um you know, if it, I think it definitely helps people become a lot more sociable and a lot more outgoing than what they normally would be, I think. Right. And then another thing I love to do is like, so I was getting ready to interview Tim Brown and my friend Alvin Miller, who lives in St. Louis, he was one of the guys that Tim Brown, when Tim Brown did his official visit, Alvin was who was touring him around. So I called Alvin and I'm like, tell me something about Tim that I can't find on the internet, like something that he, you'd have to know him to know, right? So I try to do that a lot so that I would start an interview and be like, well, little birdie told me X, Y, Z. And the guy would be like, wait, how do you know that? <laughs> but it's a great icebreaker, right? They know you've not just done your homework, like you've got, gone above and beyond to kind of find out who they are and what questions to ask because you know you can say these are like the typical questions you ask somebody in an interview but I always try to find one thing that was kind of outside the box so I think that's fun and I think that's what makes the story so good is because a lot of these guys you've heard their stories right but I try to get something a little extra that maybe you've never heard before so yeah and basically just keep it real and well as I told you at the start of the show keep it raw right right yeah you know, we don't like we don't like to do second takes we don't want to have to start yeah. the, start the camera over again or you know in your case you know restart the, I don't know if you use a tape recorder if you take notes but both <laughs> okay okay <laughs> but no, no retakes. That's that's what yeah. Ben and I. That's what Ben and I have always yeah. been about, and I think it's I think it's better that way. Yeah, yeah. You get the the natural. You get really who the person is when you do it that way. Absolutely. 
All right, Lisa. Well, again, uh, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time. We appreciate having you on. And this, uh, this whole interview has been a real pleasure. I greatly appreciate it. Um, if people want to find me, I am yeah. on Twitter. I'm the number four Leaf Clover Girl. And my books can be found at echoesfromnotredamebooks.com. You actually beat me to the punch because I was going to ask you if there was any, any sites you wanted to give out, but you're, you're thinking 10 steps ahead of what I am. That's where I am. <laughs> oh, come on now. That just hurt. Aw. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just it just kidding. means we're on the same wavelength, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, yeah, Ben, do you have anything else you'd like to mention? I have nothing. You guys covered everything. It's been wonderful. All right. Yeah, this has absolutely been an absolute blast. So, for Lisa Kelly, I am ND Sean Forty Five. I'm Irish Ben Seven. And ben, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Lisa, so much for joining us. And as we always tell you guys every every episode, well, Ben, this is your line. You take it. Have a great day. God bless. And go Irish. Go Irish. Well, well you forgot to smash the subscription. <laughs> and if you like this video, smash that like button down below and subscribe. And now it's Go Irish. Go, Go Irish. Irish. God bless everyone. See you next time.